Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke shows Jesus, of course, we've seen this, the perfect man, the Messiah, the Savior. He is the one who has come as the final sacrifice and substitute for the sins of the world. In fact, he indeed is our Savior. We're seeing this last night. Christ is, right before he goes to the cross, the last night before he dies, he's, he's going to be betrayed and arrested and tried and beaten and then crucified. He did all of this for us. In fact, he did it for each one of us. Death cannot hold him. He dies on the cross and then rises again. This morning we're going to see this last night. And we'll continue, of course. It's going to take a couple more weeks to see this. He is in the garden with his men. Judas Judas comes to betray him. The religious leaders are coming with him. Judas wants him to be arrested. And, of course, they they want to kill him. This morning there are three things, I think, that as we look at the passage that sort of stand out. First of all, we're going to see Christ's arrest. And this is, this is right at the very beginning of the passage. We're going to see Peter's denials. And as we go through the passage, most of this is the three times that he denies Christ. And we're going to see the trials begin the first two. And if you notice, it's hard to find these two trials in this little passage. We're going to go to some other places to be able to put this together so we can see how it all fits. We, we see all of this in Peter's fall. And we see our Savior's power. And may we make application in our lives. Well, you know the word confidence. I mean, it's a good word to say you've got confidence. And sometimes and most of the time it's used in a positive way and it denotes the idea of reliance. But here's a question to think about. Where, where do we put our confidence? What's our confidence in? Our world as a whole puts confidence in self. <clears throat> if you think about science, remember Carl Sagan, he died not too long ago. And he would say this. He'd say man is the center of the universe. Everything revolves around man. Man is the message. Man must control his own destiny. In fact, he would say that man is going to save the world, thus Earth Day. In business and society, we see people say, well, you can do it. I believe in me. I'm going to be a success. Or in sports and entertainment, we've been watching the Olympics and some of those people, when they interview them, they'll say, I knew I could do it. I knew that I could do that. What is our confidence in? The Bible gives us a little different view than the world. Jeremiah 9, 24 and 25 says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the mighty man boast in his might, or the rich man boast in his riches. But if he's going to boast, let him boast that he knows and understands the living God. Where is your confidence? Is it in yourself or is it in God? This morning we see Peter, a man who had his confidence in himself. See, Jesus said, you will deny me. And Peter said, no, 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 I will not deny you. Even if all the rest deny you, I will not. And then Jesus said, before the night is over, you will deny me three times. He says, I will not. This morning as we look at our passage, we see Peter denies him three times. And we have to realize something, that we can't trust in ourselves. We're capable of any sin. You put us in the wrong place at the wrong time, we're going to do the wrong thing. Our confidence and our trust must always be in God's power in and through us. So this morning, we, as we continue to go through this, we're going to see, really get the beginning of the trials and see Peter's denial. And, and over the next weeks, we're going to see this arrest and these trials and the crucifixion in our Savior who dies and rises again. Let me break down the passage for you this morning. We're going to start back at 52, and we're going to see the arrest in the garden. And then we're going to see Peter's denials, the first, the second, the third denial, and then the end results. And then we'll see Jesus being beaten. Now, kind of hidden in that because we're going to go to some other passages. We're going to see the first trial and the second trial, and we'll see what they do. Well, let's begin. We've seen the arrest in the garden led by Judas. The religious leaders are coming. They bring in some Roman soldiers, and the temple guards are all coming to get Jesus. We saw last Last time, Jesus had been praying in the garden, and he prayed this. 
He said if it, if it was possible, he would like the cup to pass. The cup is the cup of suffering. But he said, nevertheless, it's not my will, but it's the Father's will. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He would suffer. He would take the cup of suffering. He would suffer both physically and spiritually. And it's true. He's going to go to the cross. And before he goes to the cross, he will be beaten, he will be bruised, he will be crushed. There will be great physical beatings. But he's also going to suffer spiritually. Because he's going to be separated from the Father. He's going to take the sins of mankind and himself. And the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus is going to be separated from the Father. It's never happened before from all eternity. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit have been in perfect fellowship until this point. And when he takes the sins of mankind upon himself, he bears in his body our sin when he was on the cross. That's why the separation comes and Jesus will say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has come to do the will of the Father. He is going to die on the cross pay for sin and rise again now last time we saw in this garden situation when they come in to arrest him that Jesus actually did two miracles and they're very powerful the first one is when he says I am the second one is he healed Malchus now I want you to think about it they came to get him best we can tell Judas came up and kissed him then stepped back and then Jesus steps forward and says who are you looking for and they say Jesus of Nazareth and he says I am I am is the name of God Back in the Old Testament, Moses said, Who shall I say sent me? And God said, Tell him, I am who I am. I am has sent you. I am is the name of God. And Jesus stood up and said, I am. It said every one of those people, those probably 600 Roman soldiers, temple guards, the religious leaders, all of those people took step backwards and put and went down to the ground. That shows that Jesus is in control. Every knee will bow. That was a foreshadow of someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he is the God. And so he did that miracle. The second thing he did is he healed Malchus because when they began to arrest him, Peter had a sword. He thought it was supposed to fight, so he tried to hit this guy. He saw this servant of the high priest. He was going to hit him in the head with a sword and kill him. And the guy moved and he just cut off his ear. And Jesus said, put the swords up. And then he just touched the man. And his, heel, his ear was healed, just like that. In fact, verse 51, Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear, and he healed him. Wow. Now we see the arrest. And as we start, we see Jesus confronts these people. Look what he says to them. Look at verse 52. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? Now he raised this question because he's talking to the religious leaders and to the, to the Jewish guards, not, not, not just necessarily the Roman guards, but he's talking to his own people and he says, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? Are you coming out to me like I'm a criminal, like I'm a common criminal that I've done something wrong and you've come to get me? Well, I want you to know that in the Romans' eyes, he was a criminal. And these Jewish people, they saw him as doing wrong and so what they wanted to do, they wanted him to die. And to die on a cross in that day and time was to show that you were a criminal. Because that's the way the Romans ex executed those who were going against the laws of the government. They put them on a cross and they crucified them. And so he says, if you come out to me like I'm a robber, you know, you've come out with swords and clubs to arrest me. See, he was despised and rejected by men. To them he was a criminal. To us, he is our Savior. He's in control. He's about to lay down his life. In fact, you know, they may think we've got him, but remember, he's just made them all lay down. He just made them all take steps back and lay down. He can do anything he wants to. He says that if I wanted to, I could call all kind of angels. But the plan is to go to the cross and die. He's given up his life. He lays it down. He takes it back up. 
He reminds them of something. Verse 53, he says, While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. He said, I was with you daily, and you never came to get me. There I was every day, broad daylight, in the temple, teaching large crowds, but you didn't come to get me then. You know why? Because they're afraid. See, what he's doing is he's saying, you know, the real cowards here are you. You have to come get me, and you got all these soldiers and all this, and you do this at night where nobody can see it because you were afraid to arrest him in the middle of the day. Because in the middle of the day, if they came to arrest Jesus, all the people would go, wait a minute, what do you think you're doing? The big crowds would be upset. Religious leaders have already said that. They said, well, we can't arrest him because the people would get so upset. So what do they decide to do? They will get him at night where nobody knows about it. And so he says, while I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. You didn't come get me then. Why? Because they're the cowards. They were afraid. They were afraid of the crowd. They were afraid what might happen. And then he says, in the power of darkness, but this hour in the power of darkness is yours. See, this was the time that they would come do this wrong thing. They would do it when no one could be seen. In the scripture, a lot of times, light is referring to holiness and righteousness and godliness, and darkness is referring to sin. The Bible says that men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. They're coming in the darkness to get Jesus. We're to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's what the Bible tells us. We can either walk in the light, living righteously and godly, or walk in darkness. We can live, walk in the light, living for Jesus Christ today and bringing honor and glory to him. Or we can live in darkness, living in the flesh, living for ourselves in a fallen world in sin. Now, Luke doesn't tell us, but Matthew tells us in, verse, in chapter 26, verse 56, that at this time, when Jesus said this, all his disciples ran off. Now, every one of those men the night earlier that evening had said, we will, we will die with you. Peter said, listen, I got, we got two swords. We will fight. Uh, I'll go to prison. I will die. And Jesus said, no, no, you won't. You're going to run off. You're going to deny me. No, we won't. In fact, everybody said, no, we won't. At this time, they all ran off. And can you picture them? They just all ran off. There they are running away. And they said, what are we running off? I don't know. I'm running off. Matthew 26, 56. He told them they would deny him. Now, before we get a little further, we need to get some background on these trials. And then we're going to get the details as we go through the next few weeks. But I want you to see this. First of all, there were six trials of Jesus, six different trials. There were the trials by the Jews, three, and the trials by the Romans, three. I want you to understand that we're going to see in just a minute that the first trial, it was taken to Annas. Annas was the father-in-law of of uh, that's not right. That's he's the father-in-law of Caiaphas. That's just a mistake. Uh, Annas was the former high priest. He's the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Well, anyway, Annas is, is considered a high priest. He goes there first. After he goes there, he goes to Caiaphas, who is the present high priest. Both of these trials take place at night. Then the next, early the next morning. And when I say early the next morning, we're not talking about nine o'clock. We're talking like five o'clock in the morning. There is another trial by the Sanhedrin, and we'll see that. Then, after that, there are three trials before the Romans, three trials before the Jews. He's found guilty in all three. And when we look at it in details, he's found guilty because they, they've determined that he is saying that he is God. Okay? Then there are three trials before the Romans. He first goes to Pilate, then to Herod, and then to Pilate. And he is found not guilty all three times. And the, the accusations there, he is claiming to be the king. And we'll see how this fits together. So those are the three trials. Now, the six trials, three before the Jews, three before the Romans. Now, I want you to understand something. The trials before the Jews, they were all illegal. 
I've heard people say, yeah, and the trials before the Romans, they were illegal too. Well, Jesus had no standing. He was not a Roman citizen. The Romans could do anything with him they wanted to. So it's not a question of whether he had legal or not legal, illegal against the Romans. Now, with the Jews, every one of the trials were illegal. Here's why. First of all, when the Sanhedrin, when the Jews met together, they were to meet in the judgment hall. It was called a judgment hall where they would meet and decide things. The first two meetings were not in the judgment hall. They were in the homes of the priest, Annas and Caiaphas. Second rule, the, the, the judgments, the rules, and the meetings were never to be at night. The first two were at night. Third, they had to have two witnesses. When he met before Annas, there were no witnesses. When he met before Caiaphas, they brought false witnesses in, but none of them agreed. And last but not least, whenever they tried a person, the sentence had to be the next day. When they tried Jesus, they sentenced him on the same day. So they broke every one of their rules when they tried Jesus. That's the Jews. Now, for the Romans, had no rules to break. Jesus wasn't a Roman citizen. He had no rights before the Romans. They could do anything they wanted to with him. Well, let's see this. Let's see the first trial. First trial is before Annas. And I want you to hold your place in Luke and turn over to John chapter 18. We're going to go very quickly, and I just want you to see this. John 18 will start about verse 12, and you see this first trial. Luke mentions nothing about it, but John tells us the details. I want you to see it. John chapter 18, look at verse 12. So the Roman cohort and the commanders and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Now, that's what we just saw. They arrested him and led him to, notice, Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Okay, he led him to Annas first, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Now, Annas had formerly been the high priest. He'd been the high priest for about eight years. He now stepped down from that position, and his son-in-law, Caiaphas, was the high priest. Now, if you know the scripture, you would say, something's wrong. That's, that's not the way it's supposed to be, because when you go back to the Jewish thing, the high priest, the very first high priest was Aaron. And Aaron's oldest son would be the next high priest when Aaron died. And when this oldest son died, the next oldest son. And so it was supposed to be passed down to the oldest son as a descendant of Aaron. But by the time we get to the Romans, by the time they've taken over everything, it's now just become a political office. And so here is Annas, who was the priest, high priest for about eight years. He stepped down. And his son-in-law, Caiaphas, is the high priest. So none of it matched anymore. This man was very wealthy. He got his money, the best that we can tell, from you remember how then Jesus turned over all those tables in the temple and they were selling things in the temple? The high priest got a cut of what was sold there. He's a very wealthy man. Had great power. Sometimes you'll call him a former... Sometimes you'll see in the scripture it calls him a former high priest. Most of the time it just calls him high priest. Because once you're a high priest, you're a high priest. And so they come to him for the trial. Now, notice what happened. I just want you to see this. and We're going to just read it. We're not going to go into the details. Look at verse 19 of John 18. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. You know why he questioned about his teaching? Because Jesus taught that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior, that he was the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sin of the world. Jesus was saying that he was God and he's going to pay for sin. They're questioning about his teaching. Verse 20, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews came together. I spoke nothing in secret. He's saying, why are you asking me? You know what I teach. Everybody's heard it. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. Now watch. 
When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? And what did the guy do? The guy just hit Jesus. He says, Is that the way you're going to talk to the high priest? And I want you to understand something. And it's not even a high priest. And Jesus is the great high priest. And so they hit Jesus and say, Is that any way to talk to the high priest? Look how Jesus answered. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said, If I've spoken wrongly, testify the wrong. But if I've spoken rightly, why do you strike me? So what did they do? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Back to Luke 22. Now what we've seen is the first trial. It's not recorded in the Gospel of Luke, but they took Jesus to Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest, and Annas asked him all these questions, and Jesus answers, and they slap him, they hit him, and then they take him to Caiaphas. And now the second trial, and this is before Caiaphas. At this we see the denials of Peter, and it's a very sad time. Look at verse 54. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest, but Peter was following at a distance. Now Luke doesn't even tell us about the first stop where they went over to Annas. Now he just tells us, well, they took him on to Caiaphas, the high priest. But notice something about the verse. But Peter was following At a distance. Now let me tell you something. You're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't follow at a distance. If you're going to be a disciple, you get as close as you can get. This is part of the problem. He's going to follow Jesus, but he's not following him closely. He's not living for him. In fact, this time, Peter just wants to see what's going to happen. Remember, he's already run off. He's already run off. And I bet he thought, well, I shouldn't have run off. I'm, I'm going to go see what happens. And so it says, having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. As disciples of Jesus Christ, those who not only have trusted in Christ as Savior, but you have decided that you're going to live for him. If you're going to follow him, we better get as close as we can get. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So get as close as we can get. Now, look at verse 55. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. Now, I want to ask you a question because if you thought about this, could Peter just walk into the house of the high priest? Could he just say, excuse me, I'm going to go in the, I'm going to go in the courtyard with these other people? Guess what? He could not. The high priest had a special home there. The high priest was famous. The high priest was rich. The high priest was powerful. Not just anybody could say, I'm just going to go into the high priest's house. So how did Peter get there? Because remember, there's the house, and then there's usually a big, a big like fence around the house, and a gate, and a courtyard. The courtyard was part of his house. Not just anybody could go through that gate and get in the courtyard. How did Peter get there? Well, this may surprise you if you've never read this before. But I want to read to you from John chapter 18. Don't have to turn there. John 18 verse 15. And Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now, this is the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, John who wrote it calls himself another disciple. Sometimes he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. John went to the house of the high priest. And Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple, John, was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. Do you realize when they took Jesus into Caiaphas, John was with them and went right through the gate and went right there. 
It says that he was known to the high priest. You know how? You remember when they started talking back way back when we saw Peter, James, and John and they all got with Jesus? That John and James were with their father and he had a number of fishing boats. They were wealthy. They knew the high priest's family. So here is John. He goes on in. Where's Peter? Hello? Can I come in? Can I come in? He can't get in. So watch what happens. Verse eight, verse 16 of John 18. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. How did Peter get in here? Most likely it was John, who had already gone in, came up to the gate and said, I know this guy, you can let him in. And they said, okay, let him in. Peter comes in. That's how he got in there. So don't just think you could just go to anybody's house. After they had kindled a fire, verse 55, in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter was sitting with them. You know, in just a minute, Peter's going to wish he was never there. Because see, anytime you follow at a distance, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You follow closely, you're going to be okay. And a servant girl, verse 56, a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him said, this man was with him too. Now, here's a servant girl, and it says that she saw him, and then she was looking intently. I mean, she was staring at him. You know what she said? I, I know him. I know him. I know who he was. He was with Jesus. He was with this man. Peter realizes he's in trouble. Now, here's the guy that says, hey, I will go to death. I will fight. Give me the swords. I won't ever run off. I won't ever deny. I won't ever do anything. And here is a little servant girl saying, you were with Jesus. You were one of his men. What does he do? Verse 57, he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. His first denial. Verse 57, I do not know him. Did he fail? He did. How often do we fail? See, we look at this and we go, what? Peter, could you, you did that. What do you, th- what do you think you would do? What would happen to us? We always say, well, I, I hope and pray that, you know, when the time comes, I would, I would stand there and say, no, I know Jesus. I, you're right. But we don't know. Peter thought he would, but he didn't. Can't put your confidence in yourself. Verse 58, a little later, another saw him and said, you were one of them too. But Peter said, man, I'm not. Now, the next, it's a, a guy comes up. Another person's right there, and it's the second denial in verse 58. And the guy says, hey, I... You you were with him. And he said, no, no, no. You're one of them. Peter said, man, I'm not. I'm not one of them. That's the second denial. Now look at verse 59, how it starts. After about an hour had passed. After about an hour had passed. Now, do you wonder what had gone on? Because we're going to see the third denial is an hour passes before the third time. What happens in that hour? I want you to see it. Hold your place. And turn to Mark chapter 14. Just turn back to the front of your Bible, one book, to Mark chapter 14, and look at verse 55. Just want you to see just several verses here. 
give you the running start, verse 53. They led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. He was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. What was going on in there during this hour time? Now, the chief priest and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And they were not finding any. They were trying to bring people up who would say something that would would be wrong that he would say you did wrong we get two or three people to say you did wrong we could put you to death they couldn't find any verse 56 for many were giving false testimonies against him but their testimony was not consistent it had to be right and it wasn't this is what's going on go back to luke verse 59 after about an hour had passed. Another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. About an hour had passed. They've been doing that in there about trying to get these witnesses to, to, to false witnesses against Jesus. It wasn't working. So about an hour passes, and the guy looks at him and he insists, and that means confidently says, Hey, hey, I do know you. You you you're you're a Galilean. You were with him because you were a Galilean too. How could he tell if he's a Galilean? They had an accent. See, sort of, sort of the opposite of the United States, because in the South we got this accent, and in the North we, well, we got that Northern accent. But you know, but in Israel, the Northern part was the country people. That was the farmers and the fishermen, the country people, and the Southern part was the big city. And so he said, "You're from Galilee because we can tell how you talk." Had that Galilean accent. And see, where was Jesus from? Jesus spent his whole ministry. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth, which is the northern part of Israel. And the whole ministry was around the Sea of Galilee. And his headquarters was Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus was considered a Galilean. Jesus the Nazarene. And they said, you're just like him. You were with him too, for he is a Galilean too. You're just like him. And what does Peter say? Verse 60. And Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. That's his third Denial in verse 60. I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Now back in verse 34, Jesus said to him, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. That was the third time, and immediately the rooster crows. Jesus is in control. He always knows. He works everything. We can rest in our sovereign God that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. We can trust him. There's no such thing as chance or fate or luck or or any such thing. God is in control. Now, only Luke records this next part. Nobody else. Notice verse 60 again. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord. How he told him before a rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. The Lord turned and looked. Wait a minute. Peter's out in the courtyard. How could the Lord look at him? Well, we don't know for sure. It could be that it's near the end of this thing. And they brought him out. And as they bring him out, Jesus looks right over at Peter. Or it could be that maybe there's through the window, through something. Maybe they're close enough that they could see through something. And Jesus looked out at Peter as soon as he said this. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Now let me ask you a question. What kind of look do you think it was? You ever thought about that? 
Do you think it was a bad look? you think it was a mean look? you think it was a harsh look? you think it was a look of disgust like Jesus go, you make me sick. Is that how you think Jesus looked at Peter? No. You know how he looked at Peter? He looked at Peter with love. Because he never stops loving us. It doesn't matter. You mess up or not. When Peter blew it and Jesus looked at him, Jesus didn't look at him mad. Jesus didn't look at him mean. Jesus didn't look at him in disgust. Jesus looked at him in love. And when we sin, Jesus does not stop loving us. His love never changes. He loves us with an everlasting, unconditional, unchanging love. Let me tell you, if you're serving God, He loves you to the max. If you've got sin in your life and you're not serving God, He loves you to the max. His love does not change. So don't think if you're doing good for God, He loves you more. If you're doing bad for God, He doesn't love you as much. His love never changes. And so when Peter blew it, and the Lord turned and looked at him, I guarantee you it was a look of love. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he told him, before a rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And what does he do? He went out and wept bitterly. He had failed. How do you feel when you fail? How do we feel feel when we fail our Savior, when we sin, when we do things we know we're not supposed to do? We know there's sadness, but what we're supposed to do is confess and forsake and go on to live for him because failure is not the end. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you go through this life, most likely you're going to fail. And what you do is you confess it and you forsake it and you go on. And as long as you are alive, God's going to use you for His glory because His love never changes and He wants to use you for His glory. Some of you may be saying, you know, I've just, I've just done too much. Uh, no. Never. Confess and start today to say, I'm going to live for Christ. Doesn't matter the background. Let me read something to you <clears throat> on what happened. And this is Mark. Uh, and and you, if you want to turn there, you can, but I, I don't, you don't have to. This is Mark 14 again. This is the place where we were. But I want you to read. I want you to listen what what happened at the very end. Verse 61. They kept asking him questions. He kept silent and did not answer. And the high priest was questioning him. And then here's the big question. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Now remember, this is a trial, but it's at night. It's not the Sanhedrin. They're in a house. They're doing everything wrong. And they ask the question, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? They're actually saying, Are you God? That's what we want to find out. Because if, if you say you're God, you're in bad trouble, buddy. That's what they're going to say. You know, they want him to say he's God. They want to get him. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. That's the title. And then he said, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. He said, I'm not only the Savior, but I am the Judge. You think I'm on trial here? Guess what? You're on trial because I'm the Judge. And one day I'm coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Judge of all the earth. The high priest then, it says, tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have? Now, by the way, it was against the law, the Mosaic law, for the high priest to tear his clothes. He just violated the scripture. To tear clothes was to show anger or great sorrow. People could do it, but the high priest was not supposed to. 
It says that later on, it goes on to say in those verses, they begin to beat him and to hit him. Look at Luke Verse 63, now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him, and they blindfolded him and were saying to him, prophesy, who is the one who hit you? Can you imagine what they were doing? They were taking and they were wrapping something around his eyes, and then they were hitting him from behind and on the side, and they were saying, oh, if you're really God, won't you tell us who hit you? Aren't you glad you weren't there? They were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. These first two trials are illegal. But Jesus is going to the cross for us. This next morning, we're going to see it. When we get to verse 66, starting next week, it's going to be morning time. And they're going to get up and they're going to pull together the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body. And we'll talk a little bit about who the Sanhedrin were next week. And they're going to bring them together to so-called have their legal trial. They know they've had two illegal trials. Now they're going to have a legal trial, but it's wrong too. And we'll see what they do the next morning. And by the way, it's probably at 5 in the morning when they do this. Because they get him to Pilate. And they have a trial before Pilate, before Herod, before Pilate. They beat him and they put him on the cross before 9 o'clock. There's a whole bunch that happens very early that morning. What have we seen? Jesus is arrested. He's taken to Annas and then on to Caiaphas. We see that Peter follows to the home of the high priest, gets in the courtyard, and three times denies Jesus. And Christ looks at him, and Peter remembers what Jesus said. And, of course, Christ looks at him with a look of love. At the trial, Jesus declares that he indeed is the Son of God. And he's found guilty right then. They tear their clothes. And the next morning, they're going to bring together the council. Let me give you some applications. First of all this, do not put confidence in ourselves. We can't do it. Why? Because A, we are capable of any sin. We're fallen. If we yield to the flesh, we'll fail. If you put us in the wrong place at the wrong time, we're going to do the wrong thing. So you can't say, I won't do this, or I'm okay, or I don't have to worry about this. You don't put yourself in tempting and temptation situations. You can say, I don't think I would ever do that. You don't know. So be careful. Don't put your confidence in yourself because you're capable of any sin. B, realize that God is our source of strength and confidence. He is our shield. He is the only way that we can have victory. It is His strength. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In Galatians 5.16, we walk in the Spirit, will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So God is our source of strength and power. The second thing that we do is that we confess and forsake sin. When we fail, we do that. First of all, hey, Jesus knows when we fail. He knows us. He loves us with an everlasting, unconditional love. And when you sin, when you fail, Jesus is not mad at you. He's not disgusted with you. He is not looking at you like you're a traitor. He loves you with an unconditional, unchanging love. Just remember that. What do we do? He knows when we fail. What do we do? We deal with sin. We confess it. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us. You confess it and you forsake it. You go on with your life. You say, today is the day. It is never too late to start over and to keep going. The third thing, and that all ties together, is to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Because this is what we're seeing. He's going to the cross. He's being tried. He's declaring He's the Son of God. Why? So that He can die for us. That He can lay down His life for us. He can go to the cross and to suffer and to die and to die and rise again and to, and to give eternal life. He has come with a plan and a purpose. And that is to be the Savior. And just realize who He is. He is the Son of God, the Savior, and Judge. 
Because when these people are judging him, he says, yeah, one of these days, I'm, you know, I'm coming. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father, and I'm coming to rule the world and to judge. He is the way and the truth and the life, and there is no other way to come to the Father except through him. May we trust in Jesus Christ. To say, Let me just say this. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, and I know most of you, that you have trusted in Jesus Christ. But if there's any of you in this room, who have never understood and you thought maybe going to heaven is trying to be good or live a good life or keep the Ten Commandments or do something, I want you to realize that going to heaven and having eternal life comes simply by faith in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He rose again. And He offers as a gift eternal life simply by faith. It is by grace. You are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right where you're sitting, right now, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have eternal life. It is that simple. I hope and pray that you do. May we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. May we put our confidence not in ourselves but Christ, dealing with our sin, knowing that He loves us, and He's our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Help us to be able to put it together. Lord, as we see the trials of Jesus, as we see him going to the cross, as we see Peter's denial, Lord, help us to put all this together. Lord, we cannot put confidence in ourselves because we're capable of anything, but our confidence is in you. You are our source of strength and, and power and majesty. And Lord, may we walk in the Spirit, will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. May we realize that we can do all things through Jesus Christ. Lord, when we sin, may we confess it. Lord, you know when we fail, and your love never changes. Thank you, Lord. May we deal with sin and confess it, and you're faithful and just to forgive us. And, Lord, I just pray that as we see Jesus going to the cross as the Savior, that if there's anyone here who's never trusted in Jesus, they will trust him even right now. Thank you, Lord, for these things. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.